Hi, thank you for joining us on Uptime Logistics, powered by Cap Logistics. I'm your host, Doug Draper, with the Denver Transportation Club, and today's guest is Roy Becker. Roy? Good morning, Doug. Yeah. Good to be here. Good to meet you. Or good to see you again. You and I have known each other for a long time. A long time. So uh, Roy is uh, involved with Roy Becker Seminars. He's also a part-time instructor at UC Denver, and he also uh, teaches classes at uh, the World Trade Center here in Denver. So... A jack of all trades. I am. And you also spend some time with your grandkids. So <laughs> I do that as well. I would say yeah. that's the most important of the, <laughs> it is. Of the three. It makes me feel good to take them back and forth to school. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So before uh, we jump into our topic today, which is really going to be about Incoterms 2020. Yes. Um, that's here. We've been talking about it and, and preparing for it for a long time. And then uh, what do we need to know and, and why and, and, and learn more about that? So before we jump into that, um, let's have our audience learn a little bit about you and kind of your with supply chain and, and uh, transportation background, if you don't mind. Sure. My background in supply chain is actually in the finance area. Mm -hmm. I worked uh, as an international banker for 30 years. And uh, during as an international banker, I began to see how closely transportation was related to payments. So I, by osmosis, learned a lot about transportation. I've never shipped a product, <laughs> right. but I've seen a lot of documents for, you know, both imports and exports in particular, and some domestic as well. So um, about 20 years ago, I decided to leave the banking world and become a full-time trainer. And uh, as you mentioned, I, I teach part-time at UC Denver. I uh, teach at the World Trade Center here, and I go on site and uh, do seminars for companies as well. Uh, either related to uh, trade finance or Incoterms, our topic for today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's nobody better in uh, in the state of Colorado to talk about it than, than yourself. So well, again, thank you. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> yeah, you bet. So before we uh, get into the, the topic, we kind of like to have a past, present, and future um, kind of theme with, with with the show. So before we jump into the past, let's just keep it super simple. And why don't you explain uh, Inco terms um, for our audience and kind of what that means and, and how it's important on the financial and, and security aspect. Sure. First thing I'll say is Inco terms is an acronym for international commercial terms. Okay. And its origin uh, goes back to 1936 when the International Chamber of Commerce uh, took on the responsibility of writing a set of rules mm -hmm. that could be used by uh, importers and exporters in particular, also domestic. It's not limited to international. And uh, as Time has gone along, and as practices have changed, those rules. By the way, incoterms is intended to be an adjective, a little technical thing here. Okay. So they're incoterms rules. Rules is the is the noun. Incoterms is the adjective. Okay. So they're referred to as rules, uh, which is a common misconception. People think it's law. It is not law. They are simply rules that uh, companies can choose to use. And as practices have changed over the years, these rules need to be revised. So uh, 1936 was the first revision. We're kind of on a track now of a revision every 10 years. So that goes back to 1980. There was a, a 1980 and 1990, 2000, 2010, and now 2020. Mm -hmm. Will there be a 2030? If, if people feel there is a need to be one, yes, maybe sooner, if, if things change rapidly enough that, that they need to be changed. Okay. And also, I might say this, that Every revision is not a major revision. Uh, in fact, the 2020 would be considered a very moderate revision. Uh, 2010 was more major. 2000 wasn't was kind of a moderate revision, although 
at the time they thought it was moderate, but that's the uh, year that they introduced the term FCA, free carrier, mm -hmm. which today is the most popular ENCO term. Hmm. They didn't know that back in 2000, that it would become the most popular, but uh, it has become. And uh, so who knows, you know, 2020 is considered kind of a moderate revision, not major changes, but there might be something there that the marketplace catches and picks up on and runs with it. Who right. knows? Uh, one one point of clarification is is the um, the term is international. I mean, it's so folks in France or other parts of the world have the same standard. Yes. Is that correct? Yes, and and it has been translated into I think twenty seven different languages, and it is used worldwide. Yeah, nice. Yeah. yeah. Talk about the the body. So you talk about it, they may decide to change it. Who is they? Yeah. And, and how does that group? Who are they? Good question. So the International Chamber of Commerce based in Paris, France, takes on the responsibility of um, overseeing these rules. But in order to decide if they want to change the rules, they ask for input from chambers of commerces all over the world. And I believe they had over 2,000 recommendations for changes for the 2020. So what they'll do then, they'll assemble a team of people from the marketplace. These are not ICC, International Chamber of Commerce staff members that work on this. Mm -hmm. uh, they recruit like lawyers from uh, Europe. It's pr pretty much been a European-based revision. Uh, this year, it was expanded to include someone from the U.S., although he, uh, Frank Reynolds, I, we can come back and talk briefly about him later. He's, he's been on the committee since 2000. So he's been, this was his third revision. Uh, this year, they expanded it to include someone from Australia and China as well. So uh, it's intended to have worldwide input into the changes. Nice. Yeah, and I think that that's good to know because some of the terms that are used maybe a little bit foreign to, to uh, may not be the exact word that somebody in the U.S. would use, but it's... It, uh, it still makes sense. So. Yeah, that, that's very true. For example, the, the term X works uh, in Europe works is a factory. Mm -hmm. So if, if Americans had written that, we might say X factory or right. X warehouse or something like that. Yeah. And, and also a, a common term that's used in the rules are the term carriage. We probably would say shipment. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. That was something when I was becoming familiar uh, with eco terms, that was like, well, what does that mean? Yeah. So it's it's nice to know the, the history and origins is not in, in the U.S. Yeah, so you bet. That's good. Yeah. So um, why are, let's jump into kind of the, the meat and potatoes, if you will. So why are sales terms important? Like, why why should we care? I'm going to buy something from you. And, and obviously there needs to be need to be rules, but elaborate a little bit on why it is important. Sure. Well, basically they are written to avoid confusion. So if buyers and sellers are entering into a, a contract, they need to agree on a number of things, you know, like who's going to pay the freight? Who's going to be responsible for risk of loss? What tasks are there? Who's going to hire the freight forwarder? Uh, and in fact, there are three, in a typical international transaction, there's three legs of transportation. You know, there's the transportation from the seller's place to the port or airport on the seller's side, mm -hmm. and then port to port or airport to airport, and then on to the buyer's side. So, I mean, this doesn't hold true in every transaction, but basically three legs. Is one party going to cover the cost of all three legs, or are they going to divide it up where one party covers one leg of transportation, another party two uh, legs? What if those goods are lost or stolen or damaged? Who's going to bear the loss? So those things have to be clearly written out into a contract. And the benefit of IncoTerms is you can take three letters, for example, FOB, FCA, CIP, whatever it might be, mm -hmm. 
And immediately it draws all of those issues into the contract. So basically what IncoTerms is, it's shorthand. If, if, uh, if companies don't use IncoTerms, they have to really lengthen their contract to address all those issues. Okay, gotcha. And um, the term pro forma invoice comes into play a little bit. Tell us a little bit more. Like, what is that? To me, understand uh, a little bit more about the pro forma invoice. Sure, okay. It actually has several different uses, but the intent is really that it should be a quotation. So, for example, we're used to using the term pro forma in the financial world where mm-hmm. we say a pro forma income statement or a pro forma financial statement. What does that mean? It means this is our best guess of what it's going to look like, okay, the financial statement. So a pro forma invoice is a document the seller prepares in response to a buyer's inquiry, and it actually looks just like a commercial invoice, but it'll, it'll have the word pro forma on it, and it'll say to the buyer, if you want to buy our goods, these are the terms and conditions. This is the price. This in, does or does not include the cost of shipping. It does or does not include the cost of insurance. Mm-hmm. And... The buyer can take a look at that and walk away from it, or they might say, we're okay with everything, let's accept it the way it is, or they might negotiate and say, can you change this or can you change that? So basically, it's um, a nice format of a, uh offer that, again, the intent is to avoid confusion, so there'll be no surprises down the road when the, when the buyer actually gets the commercial invoice. Right. Yeah. Can the pro forma invoice actually be the contract itself where we can make agreement and sign at the bottom or is that just a guideline and says, okay, we still need to do a, a contract for sale? No, it, it could be. Uh, um, usually what happens, the flow is the, the buyer will make an inquiry and then the seller provides a quote in the form of a pro forma. It doesn't have to be, but if it is, it, it makes it nice. And then usually the buyer will respond with a purchase order. And if the seller accepts the purchase order, that usually becomes the contract. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about the, the terms themselves, right? I know that there's uh, 10. Is that it, where they are it, right now? 11. 11. Yep. Okay. See, that's good. why you're here. You're it, the pro. It, it was a good guess. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And, and I know that, um, you know, they're kind of in, in in clusters. I think there's like an A, B, and C group. And so maybe you could talk a, a little bit about the terms themselves. I don't know if you want to go into each individual one or maybe talk about the different buckets. Sure. Um, yeah. That'd be a um, good start. The, uh I like to refer to them either as a family of terms or even a group of terms, mm-hmm. either way. Um, so I'll talk about each group. There are four groups. Okay. Uh, the first group is simply one term, and that's the E-term or X-Works, which, uh, yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'll briefly cover all of them, but just in one or two sentences. Sure, no, okay. no problem. <laughs> yeah. So X-Works, uh, in effect, says the seller says the goods are my back door, come and get them, which means then that the buyer has to arrange all the, all the shipping take care of all the costs and the risk. So if those goods are lost, damaged, or stolen, it's buyer's loss. Okay. By the way, uh, let me back up just for a minute and say there's a key word that really helps people understand IncoTerms, and that's the word delivery. Now, delivery can mean different things to to different people, though. Um, You know, like we say, the mail has been delivered, meaning it's arrived. Mm -hmm. That's not the way IncoTerms looks at uh, delivery. In fact, I brought the official IncoTerms book with me. I'll hold it up to the camera. (laughs) (laughs) This is the official book. The new one. The, The new one, the 2020. And they have a very precise definition of delivery, which simply says, um... When and where seller delivers the goods, in other words, where risk transfers from seller to buyer. So where does risk transfer from seller to buyer? Or another way of 
wording that is to say, at what point does a seller cease to be responsible for the condition of the goods? So with X works, the seller says, goods are at my back door, come and get them. So as soon as the buyer picks up those goods, they are responsible for all risk of loss. So that's the E term. It's kind of the basic building block. It's probably a term that, and I won't go into all the pros and cons, but it's probably not a term that people really should use, but we need a starting place, mm -hmm. right? Um, then we can move to the F terms. The F terms are uh, three terms, uh, FAS, FOB, and FCA. People are probably most familiar with the term FOB because it's been around forever, probably right. even before the writing of Inco terms. Uh, free on board, which means the goods have to be loaded on board a vessel. Um, so risk of loss passes as soon as those goods are on board the vessel. So prior to that, if there's any risk of loss, it's seller's loss. The seller is also responsible for all costs to get the goods onto the vessel. Mm -hmm. FAS is a little unusual term, not used a lot, but it, it's free alongside, meaning the seller has to have the goods alongside the vessel to be loaded onto, uh, within reach of the crane is the way it's worded. Um, and then FCA, which I mentioned earlier, is a, a real popular Inco term now. It's not limited to any mode of transportation and it can be used at two different points. It can be used at the seller's place or the Porter Airport. And the seller has fulfilled their responsibilities as soon as they receive some kind of document from the carrier saying they've delivered the goods into the hands of the carrier, which could be at their dock or it could be at a Porter Airport. Okay. So that's the F terms. The C terms, uh, there's four of them. Two of them are limited to Ocean term, I call it ocean terms. The uh, Inco terms officially uses the word sea, uh, seagoing. So it could be a river, perhaps. Um, but I usually think of it in terms of an ocean shipment. Um, and that's CFR and CIF. And, and the rules read exactly like FOB in that the goods have to be on board the vessel, but the seller is responsible for covering the cost of shipping the goods to the port on the buyer's side. Okay. However, risk of loss passes as soon as they're on board the vessel. Um, uh, that would be CFR. CIF is exactly the same, except the seller is responsible for also paying for the cost of insurance. So they'll pay the insurance premium for the benefit of the buyer if those goods are lost, damaged, or stolen. Then there's two other C terms that are... Um, Irregardless of a mode of transportation, and that's CPT and CIP, they're very similar to the ocean terms I just described, but for any mode of transportation. So the seller is responsible for get, uh, handing the goods over to the carrier at a port or airport, but paying for the cost of shipping to the destination. Okay. And the I term then is insurance again. Then there's the D terms, and here's where we've had a little bit of a change uh, in 2020. Um, we have uh, a new term called... Uh, DPU, delivered at place unloaded, which is very similar to the DAT term that was introduced in 2010, which meant that the goods have to be unloaded at a terminal and made available to the buyer after unloading. It's the only inco term that requires a seller to do the unloading. What what happened in the 10 years since then, uh, the feedback from the marketplace was it was too restrictive to say that it had to be a terminal because in many cases, particularly on a large construction project, perhaps uh, the goods might be delivered to the site and unloaded there. So uh, the, the term is now expanded to say delivered at place 
unloaded so that place can be anywhere Doesn't and then who dictates the place is that that would be outlined in the contract yes or, that, or the pro forma no uh yeah well in the contract and it you know it probably start at the pro forma uh and and uh that's an excellent question because that applies to every inco term uh an inco term by itself is meaningless you know fob is meaningless until it has a place so fob miami is quite different than fob hong kong so, you know, so that was a great question because it, it, who dictates a place, buyer and seller agree to that place, okay. whatever that might be. Gotcha. And then, of course, there's that last term, DDP, deliver duty paid, which requires a seller to deliver to the buyer's door, including clearing the goods for customs. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So um, that uh, a couple of questions going back to the, the semantics of it, right? So um, you're a factory in, mm-hmm. in Europe, and I'm buying buying some goods, and I'm controlling the freight, okay. right? You're, have, you're a buyer in the U.S.? I'm the buyer. Okay. You're the seller. Yep. And I love my freight forwarder. They do a great job. And yep. so I want you to deliver it to my freight forwarder's terminal in Rotterdam. Yeah. Right? Yes. So I then take control of the transportation it's still in your country or it's still in in europe yeah so what term is that that would be the fca term free okay. carrier so uh and that's would, the one that's gotten very popular that's right okay for importers and exporters especially for importers because it does exactly what you said it gives them control so uh if i have to deliver to your freight for in rotterdam I am responsible for that first leg of transportation to get the goods there. So if those goods are lost, damaged, or stolen, it's my risk. But once I've delivered to your carrier, they give me a receipt, and my trans- my responsibility is complete. Got it. You're, and so you have control. You also have the risk of, of those goods from that point to to your place. Uh, if those goods are lost, damaged, or stolen, it's your risk. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I th- so let's go back and say what what are the the differences, right? You definitely said there's a new uh, a new term that, that came to pass. So if I'm somewhat knowledgeable, I'm out there listening to the show, and I'm like, yeah, I, I've I know eco terms. Like, what is the one or two things that are different? I think you spoke about one of them, yeah, but well, let's recap what specifically is different in 2020. Okay. Um, probably that's one of the most noticeable is that. Uh, change of a term from uh, DAT delivered at terminal to DPU delivered at place unpaid. The intent mm-hmm. of that INCO term basically was unchanged. You know, it was really the nomenclature that changed. The rest of the um, changes are somewhat geeky. If you weren't familiar with the older INCO terms, you would hardly notice the changes. Uh, one of them is just the layout of the, the book itself. Um, each INCO term has lists Again, for the benefit of the camera, <laughs> <laughs> nice. ten responsibilities for the seller, ten for the buyer, uh, and they they face each other and they mirror each other. What's happened is I don't know if previous revisions if they paid a lot of attention to the order of those ten, or if it was kind of haphazard. I don't know the history of that, but there was a definite intent this time around to put these in an order that should be followed when considering a contract. Previously, most people think of INCO terms as who's paying for the freight? You know, is it freight prepaid or freight collect? How does that affect my cost? And what the committee determined was there's so many other issues that should be considered before the cost, like transfer of risk. Where does risk pass? Who's going to bear that risk? Um, Who's going to pay the cost of shipping? All those things. So the order now of those 10 
uh, it isn't until you come to number nine that it addresses allocation of costs. So there's, uh, you know, the other issues that should be dealt with, you know, packaging and marking, import and export clearance. Who's going to deal with that? Those are things that affect cost. So they should be dealt with first. Again, that's kind of a geeky thing. You know, if people weren't familiar with the old layout, they wouldn't know that. Um, another probably obscure uh, change that was made with the FCA term, and this is primarily for buyers and sellers that use letters of credit for payment. Uh, using the FCA term normally requires that the seller simply re receive some kind of receipt from the carrier that they've delivered the hands into or the goods into the hands of the carrier. However, banks, when they issue letters of credit, they love to have a document that shows the goods on board. Mm -hmm. So um, even though the FCA term doesn't match that requirement, they put a provision in the 2020 to say that with the FCA term, an uh, onboard ocean bill of lading is allowable. Personally, if I were to consult a company, I'd say don't go that route, but it's there if needed. Right. Uh, the other change is at the back of the book. I mentioned these 10 um, obligations for the seller and buyer. They've reordered those in what they call um, – Oh, I can't remember the exact word they use, but more of a silo effect. They've taken all the A terms and listed them. So people can, can go here and say, okay, um, I'm going to look at all the A terms and decide which one is best for me. And that will help drive them to the right INCO term, or, or it could be the B terms or the C terms or whatever it might be. So um, again, that's kind of a geeky thing, but I think it's a, a valuable thing. It was a right. nice thing. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Tapping into your, your uh, background as a banker, right? Mm -hmm. So let's add another layer of complexity or, or mm -hmm. I'm not sure if that's the right word, but let's talk about letters of credit. Yeah. You made mention of it. Can If I have a letter of credit where I'm going to a bank to... Uh, to borrow money to pay for, for the product. Does any Ecoterm work with a letter of credit no. or, or does that narrow what I'm allowed to, to use? Talk about that. Okay. And that, and that's um, often a common problem. People don't match Ecoterms with their payment terms and they should definitely be matched. So if you are the seller wanting to get paid from a bank, um, the bank will ask you to produce certain documents. It is in your best interest to make sure you and the buyer have agreed to an INCO term that gives you control over those documents. And typically, again, if, if the bank requires an onboard ocean bill of lading, you should be in control of contracting the carrier so that you can obtain that document. Right. If the buyer is in control of the carrier, you are trusting the buyer or their freight forwarder to give you a document you need to get paid. What if they withhold that document? Or what if they deliberately put some errors into that document so it doesn't match the terms of the letter of credit? De deliberately, you know, so you can't get paid. Huh. <laughs> so you, you need to be in control. Have you seen that where there's literally they'll <laughs> fake or not fake documents, but intentionally... You know, I create I'd, that conflict. I, I don't know that it's been obvious that that it's happened. It may have happened, but uh, I have definitely seen where sellers have not used a proper INCO term and they've trusted the buyer to give them a document and they've struggled. In, in one case, they never did get the document. It was a hundred seventy six thousand dollars shipment for a small uh, manufacturer, and um, uh, their contract said X works, which means the freight the buyer's freight forwarder picks up the goods. Mm -hmm. But the letter of credit said they needed a bill of lading showing the goods shipped out of Oakland, California, and the freight forwarder wouldn't give them that document because the freight forwarder was under instructions from the buyer, and the buyer said, "Don't give them the document. Send the document to me." 
Huh. So, yeah, they, they never got paid on that letter of credit. That's interesting. They learned a big lesson. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's – we'll probably jump into to a few stories here in a little bit that uh, kind of puts perspective to, to the rules and, and, and what not to do. Sure. Um, so, jumping to this this day and age and, and – um, challenges that we're having with, with tariffs and, you know, trade wars, kind of a, a popular term to use now. Would you have recommendations or, or maybe go through some terms that work well in this stage, the, the uh, volatility? I mean, even just this, the, yesterday, there were some changes that the president put, put out related to, uh, to aluminum and, and steel. So knowing the uncertainty is – so here's my question. There's a lot of uncertainty. Sure. What eco terms protect the buyer the best? If that's the right word to use to make sure they're, they're safe and secure. Sure. Well, I don't know if there's a, 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 a f- answer that'll solve everything. Right. right? Okay. Uh, what income terms does address is who pays the, the duties. So uh, buyer and seller have to agree. So the, uh, in most cases, an importer will, will choose an F term like FCA, uh, the, the, the Rotterdam illustration we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. which means as soon as I've delivered to your freight forwarder in Rotterdam, when those goods are brought into the U.S., you are responsible for, for covering the tariffs and paying for them. Um, I could have, we could have agreed to an income term where I cover those costs, but what would I probably do is pass those costs on to you and my pricing, right? Mm-hmm. So, but with the volatility, you know, if we agree on a price today, but the shipment doesn't take place for a month or six weeks or six months. What could happen, you know, during that time period? So, eco terms. Keep in, keep in mind these are worldwide. So even though in the U.S. we do have tariff and trade war issues, a lot of countries don't. You know, it doesn't impact them. So the the eco terms are written. I guess I would say vague enough just to identify who is responsible for paying those. Um, when it comes to trade wars. Uh, that's not an eco terms issue at all, right? <laughs> that's uh, that's interesting. Are there certain eco terms that would be better for certain types of commodities? What one thing um, I was thinking of before the show here would be potentially very high value, um, say electronics versus maybe some perishable food mm-hmm. foodstuffs. You know, hey, this the bananas are coming in and they could. Uh, be spoiled. Is there certain terms that work better for those type of different commodities? You know, it's, again, it's buyer and seller, whatever they agree to. Um, I've certainly, let me uh, relate a quick story. In one of the banks I worked for, we did finance a lot of agricultural shipments. And we had a client who had a contract to ship soybeans to Portugal. They were going to totally fill a charter vessel. Okay. So this wasn't a containerized shipment. It was a a bulk shipment. The buyer and seller agreed that the buyer would contract the uh, charter to have the goods at the port of New Orleans on a certain day. And the seller would have the, the goods there for loading. And they used the FOB, free on board, Inco term, which charges the seller with loading the goods on board. They have not completed their responsibility until the goods are loaded on board. So they agreed on this date. So the seller had the soybeans there on that date for loading. But the buyer was two weeks late in getting the the ship there 
during those two weeks, some moisture got into the I was soybeans. About to say, I think I see where this is going. <laughs> That's right. And and the the quality and value deteriorated. Well, they got in a big dispute. You know, the buyer said, "We had the goods there for loading. You didn't have the ship there, so you're responsible." And the seller, on the other hand, said, or the buyer, on the other hand, said, "Well." According to the Inca term, you're responsible until they're on board. So there was a case where the seller should have had control over charting that vessel and having it there on, on the right date. Um, so, you know, I guess in terms of pricing, probably, you know, no, uh, I would say there's no Inco term that's good for lower priced versus higher priced. It's, it's more, other issues are more important, like risk of loss and tasks and who, right. who's going to contract the shipping. Yeah. yeah. So in that example, it was a perfect lead into to my next question. So there's the dispute with the soybeans. Mm -hmm. um, they're at a standstill or whatever, and they need to take it to court and they need to have a third party um, determine what the right course of action who is that third party? Is that what the the, the association in, in France does as well, or or do we does it go to uh, the litigation? How is that resolved, and who who does that? Okay, that should have been agreed to in their contract, okay. right up front. If there's going to be litigation, how is it going to be handled? Uh, so it could have been handled in the courts of New York. It could be. Switzerland, or or it could be arbitration by the International Chamber of Commerce, but that should have been determined prior to the, the yeah. issue developing into a problem. Right. Yeah. A boatload of soybeans. I'm sure they, they covered that. Yeah. So again, this is such a good example. So in that scenario, it's the court in New York mm -hmm. as an example. That doesn't happen in 24 hours. That's a process. But you have a boatload, literally. <laughs> yeah. Of soybeans, yeah. Like, and the longer it sits, it continues to, de you know, to to degrade, and the value just becomes less and less and less. Yeah. So, what happens to the soybeans during that uh, negotiation and, and review? Sure. Well, a good question. I, I'm not sure I can answer that. Some, you know, it who, depends. Yeah, it depends. <laughs> Who, whoever still has control of those soybeans, you know. If, so, if the seller has not loaded them, they still have control of those soybeans. So, they'll have to take proper steps to either protect them or destroy them if it reaches that point. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, so flipping into um, kind of technology and, and how commerce in general is moving so rapidly now. I know we do every 10 years, there's a review and it was good to know you said that 10 years is not a hard rule. Yeah. We could review them in three or four years. So the um, the real life example I give, right, is, or, or to help my question, is Venmo, right, and peer to peer payment systems, yeah. right? So um, I, uh, you know, my son doesn't seem to care about cash anymore. I mean, I literally had a $20 bill and said, here you go. He's like, Dad, don't worry about it. Just Venmo me the money, <laughs> which I'm just baffled by that. Yeah. But um, it, it, maybe there's a dotted line to that concept on an individual with my son. Paying him. Do you see other technologies that could be disruptors to the traditional way that we transact? You know, uh, one thing uh, that we should clarify is Inco terms are used for business to business. Okay, not business to consumer or not consumer to consumer. So e-commerce, which is typically business to consumer, mm -hmm. um, Inco terms just plain doesn't apply, and and primarily because the marketplace assumes that. Uh, E-commerce, the the shipping is included in the price, mm -hmm. or so-called free shipping, right? <laughs> right. There is no such thing, right? <laughs> um, so an eco term is irrelevant, but it's more relevant to business to business, and in those cases, um, 
all all the issues listed in the IncoTerms rules, the ten responsibilities for our answer, are still going to apply regardless of how the payment is made. You know, what if those goods are lost, damaged, or stolen? There still has to be an agreement between buyer and seller, regardless of the payment term. Got it. Who's who's going to be responsible? Gotcha. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, the other question I had was kind of a buzzword. You and I were speaking about this earlier. Uh, blockchain. Yeah. Right. That's kind of a buzzword. And on the show, we've actually talked about what blockchain is and 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 how it's growing and and uh, how does that relate to eco terms or does it? You know, it's kind of this buzzword. So I'm listening sure. to the show and I'm like, okay, what what do I do and how does that interact? My limited understanding of uh, blockchain as it applies to supply chain is that it's giving visibility to even from the point of origin to the point of destination, uh, documentation, who's touched it, who's provided certain documents and all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't see that as being a relevant issue to IncoTerms. Uh, IncoTerms still deals with, you know, who's paying for the cost of shipping, who's going to be responsible if the goods are lost, damaged, or stolen, who has to do certain tasks, who clears the goods through customs. I just don't see the two overlapping, really. Gotcha. I, I mean, it's information. Yeah. Right, that may apply to incoterms, but I don't see that it changes anything in incoterms. Gotcha. Yeah, and, and asking those two questions, uh, it it really helps understand that incoterms is kind of the foundation, and there may be all these buzzwords and payment methods and visibility tools like blockchain. Yeah, that's all great. Yeah, but it doesn't really impact or change the foundation. That's right. Which is how we we interact and uh, and everything else. So that, yeah. That definitely makes sense. Yep. So, yeah. What a um, couple of uh, takeaways. So, uh, um, before we jump into that, I, I, you're great at stories, yeah. right? And, and I'm a big storyteller, and, and uh, it, it's always good to um, have examples of here's a term that was used, and here's a problem that resulted in it, and here's how the Inco terms helped resolve it. Is there any other uh, stories like the the uh, soybean example that you could help us explain and better understand the terms? Yeah, one of the most bizarre stories that, that I've come across, I personally was not involved in this, but uh, someone told this uh, story to me. A company in, I believe, in Iowa had a contract to ship corn to a company uh, located in the Middle East. They had a letter of credit. The buyer put up a letter of credit. The letter of credit tied to the INCO term at that time, uh, which was DEQ, which is now the equivalent of DPU, delivered place unloaded. Mm -hmm. So the letter of credit was going to be triggered as soon as those goods were unloaded. And so the bank needs some kind of document as proof that those goods are unloaded. So both parties agreed that the pilot of the vessel the captain mm -hmm. would sign a statement, basically as simple as we, I hereby certify the goods have been unloaded, would give that to the seller. The seller would take it to the bank and get paid. So the ship arrived at destination. The goods were unloaded. There's no dispute about the fact that they were unloaded. They, uh, they have pictures and everything, but they could not get the captain to sign the statement. Do you want to guess why? I have no idea. Three days before the ship arrived in port, he died. <laughs> Can you believe this? You oh know, you gosh. can't make this stuff up, right? Yeah. <laughs> so um, he wasn't available, obviously, to yeah. sign the statement. Now, of course, there's the argument say, well, there might had to be a second person in charge, yeah. right? But uh, I don't know. You know, I have to embellish the story at this point because I don't know. But I assume that party either did not carry the title of captain or said, wait a minute, I never agreed to doing this. I'm not going to sign. Right. So the last I heard, uh, it was in court. 
the bank is taking a hard stand. The bank said, we don't have a captain statement. We're not going to pay. Now, an easy way to resolve that solution is just go to the buyer and say, buyer, will you authorize us to pay even though we don't have the right document? But apparently the buyer is, you know, it's a multi-million dollar shipment. Right. So the buyer, the buyer has the goods and they're saying, no, don't pay. Uh, the last I heard it was in the courts trying to get the bank to pay and I, I, I don't know the results of it. Huh. But yeah, it's, uh, and then, and I, I think I've told this story before about the old, uh, the, the diesel engine uh, story. I'll, I'll tell that one real quick yeah, as well. Yeah, of course. Um, so this again goes back to a point I should have made earlier. We now have, this is now the ninth revision of Incoterms going back to 1936, okay? None of the previous revisions have been rescinded. This, uh, automatically, this does not supersede the previous revisions. Mm. So it's very important when buyers and sellers agree to an Incoterm that they identify the version. So now with the 2020, they should say, um, we agree to the FCA Incoterm in accordance with 2020. Uh, because if they don't, they're going to run into problems. And, and this is where this story, um, in the year 2000, the Incoterm for FOB simply said that the goods had to cross over the ship's rail. About, so this happened prior to 2010. Um, so about, I don't know, we'll just say 2005, um, this company that manufactures diesel engines, uh, about a million dollars a piece. They don't nicely fit inside a container. They have to be specially created. Um, they agreed to the FOB term. The uh, they brought the container alongside, or the uh, crated engine alongside the ship. The ship picked the crane picked up the engine, swung it over the ship's rail, and then for some reason that I'd never heard an explanation, swung it back and dropped it. It crashed through the dock below into the salt water and ruined a million dollar engine. Who's loss? Okay, buyer or seller? So uh, that one went to court, and uh, the judge read the definition of FOB, which said the goods have to cross over the ship's rail. And he ruled that happened. It had crossed over the ship's rail. The fact that it went back happened after that fact. So he ruled uh, buyer's loss. They had crossed over the ship's rail. Now, um, in 2010, and that's uh, also in 2020, it now says that the goods have to be loaded on board the ship. So there's a change there that I think would have changed the judge's ruling. Mm -hmm. He would have said the goods were not on board. So that's why it's so important, again, to um, reference the year of publication. Right. Because in that case, if they just say FOB incoterms, well... Each attorney is going to say, yeah. no, it was 2000. The next one is going to say, no, no, it's 2020. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that, that's uh, in the day-to-day -day business in the fast-paced world, these little nuances can be overlooked and could be catastrophic. See, and, yeah. and that's, it goes back to where people look at income terms as only, what's my cost? They don't think about all these other little things that can happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So what would be, uh, say, one or two... Takeaways, right? So we've kind of done a nice conversation about Ecoterm, the changes. And for our audience, uh, uh, if you said, hey, here's two things that yeah. I want them to take away from this episode, what would that be? Um, there are 11 Ecoterms. Um, there is no one Ecoterm that's always right and always wrong, okay? It's whatever seller and buyer agree to. 
technically probably stay away from the two end ones, XWorks and DDP. I won't go into the reasons why right now. Choose one of the inner nine, what, and it's whatever buyer and seller agree to. It's not, you know, no right or wrong, okay. whatever they can agree to. I'd say that'd be one takeaway. And remember that keyword delivery. Um, if If buyers and sellers can remember where does delivery happen or where does risk pass, everything else falls into place. You know, the costs and, and everything fall into place as soon as you understand that. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So um, my head's now spinning, right? I'm, I'm uh, the compliance manager for my company. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I didn't realize all of this changes. What are some resources uh, that are out there that uh, our audience can go and learn more about it? Sure. First and most important, get the book. Okay. <laughs> These are the official rules published by the International Chamber of Commerce. Uh, every company, I'm not saying every person in, within the company needs one of these, but every company should have one so they can refer to it and read it and understand it and and use it. So when they're agreeing to an inco term, open up the book and say, okay, are, are we okay with all these 10 things that it says we have to do? It also becomes a handy checklist. You know, if something goes wrong, you can refer to the book and say, okay, who didn't do what they were supposed to do? Mm -hmm. So uh, very important right, right here. Uh, there's also an online class offered by the International Chamber of Commerce um, that with a quiz that you have to pass at 70% to get a little certificate. I passed at 80. <laughs> I was, and I was kind of disappointed. I thought I should have done better than that. There were kind of a couple of trick questions in there. Sure, there always are. Yeah, that's right. Um, and then um, I also brought a book with me called Incoterms Rules for Americans, written by a gentleman by the name of Frank Reynolds. I'll quickly comment on yeah. him. We brought his name up earlier. Yeah. Frank Reynolds. Reynolds uh, is a trader out of Toledo, Ohio. He's not academia. He's not an attorney. Uh, back in the early 2000s or early 1990s, he took it upon himself to really understand the Inco terms, not only for international use, but also domestic. And he wrote this book, Inco Terms for Americans. You know, and when you write something and put a cover around it, now you're the expert, right? right. <laughs> so he set himself up as the expert in this country on Inco terms. So in the year 2000, for the first time ever, uh, an American was invited to be on the committee to write Incoterms, and it was Frank Reynolds. He has again been on the 2010 and now 2020, and you can see from the title, it's re uh, revised for Incoterms 2020 okay. rules. Um, a very valuable book, but you, you can't read past page two in here, and he'll say, by the way, if you don't have this book, stop reading this book. Okay. Right. He, I like to say, this is the Bible, this is a commentary. Okay. It's very valuable, and yeah. Um, well-written and easy to understand with a lot of illustrations, including copies of pro forma invoices uh, relevant to each uh, INCO term. Um, in addition, there are workshops and seminars here in Denver. The World Trade Center uh, twice a year holds a half-day session on INCO terms uh, that I've been teaching for I don't know how many years now. Um, and we'll continue to do so. We have one coming up in January. I'm not sure of the exact date. Uh, just go to the World Trade Center Denver website and, and look at their calendar. Um, another good resource is uh, a discussion group on LinkedIn. Hmm. Uh, there's um, a gentleman by the name of uh, Bob Ronai out of Australia. He's uh, He has experience as an international banker and a freight forwarder. He, in fact, was the Australian on the 2020 committee okay. as well. He manages a discussion group. There's over almost 20,000 members 
to this discussion group. And it's, it, you know, people submit questions. Bob Ronai himself will often respond. And he's always right on, dead on. I've never never seen him give an answer that I didn't agree with. <laughs> uh, and other people will will uh, make comments as well. A great place just to, to learn as well. That's great. Yeah. And obviously, Roy Becker Seminar, if people I, want to come on, uh, I, have you come on site? That's, yes, that's... I, I've done several already. Uh, on the 2020 terms, I'm doing one next week. And... Um, um, I have one coming up in California in January. So, yeah, I'm available. That's great. Yeah. Yes. And I know uh, the team here at Cap Logistics has lots of experts as well. So Absolutely. you can always reach out to. Yeah, uh, they're, they're, they are very good on the transportation side and they understand in terms who's taking the risk, who who needs control. That's always a big thing. You yeah. know, who has control of that shipment? Yeah. 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 Well, I can't thank you enough for being here today. It's, My always, it's always good. The, the big takeaway for me is that Incoterms is the foundation and the base and all the buzzwords and everything else. Don't get distracted. Let's focus on the contract and, yeah. and, and really what they bring to the table. That's uh, the, the, it's a the, good takeaway. the rock to, yeah. to go to. So yeah. that's terrific. Again, thank you for joining us today. And, and um, um, thank you, the audience, for joining us on Uptime Logistics. Of course, this is powered by Cap Logistics. Uh, you can find more information about the show in the description below. And don't forget to like us and subscribe to our channel. And please visit caplogistics.com. Uh, for customized transportation solutions. So again, thank you and our audience have a great day. Thank you.